Chapter One of Cycling in the Alps by C. L. Freeston. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Introductory. Very nebulous ideas are prevalent with respect to alpine cycling. The available literature upon the subject is extremely scanty, for which reason it is scarcely to be wondered at if the pushing of a machine up a long pass is regarded by many as a ludicrous performance involving an enormous amount of labour with little by way of recompense others there are who imagine that though there is much climbing there is more coasting of the risky sort and that mad downward flights for dozens of miles with vertiginous gyrations round appalling curves are the normal accompaniments of cycling on the passes the possibility of there being intervening stretches of level road or of the scenery rewarding to a manifold degree such difficulties and dangers as may be met with on the slopes is too readily ignored by either party it is indeed the scenery which is the leading factor in the justification of alpine cycling which i venture to set forth unless the traveller is a pedestrian or prepared to endure the stuffy discomforts of the diligence he will never rise to the glorious heights nor enjoy the entrancing views that are open to the cyclist who is not afraid of work now this is a consideration which cannot be too forcibly impressed upon the notice of those who have not yet been to switzerland or the austrian tyrol i hope i may be acquitted of speaking without my book for i have visited switzerland on several occasions both a wheel and as an ordinary tourist i have seen most of the many show places between Baal and the frontier on the north east and south respectively and have made use of the highest mountain railways and all other available methods of locomotion save always heaven be thanked the eternal diligence but never has any one of these produced the sublimity of scenery or rapturous sensations that i have derived from my journeyings a wheel the cyclist may ride or climb into an upper empyrean to which even a swiss railway will not carry him with the solitary exception of the gorner grat and much of the finest scenery in that noble country is centred in the districts to which by their very altitude and grandeur the locomotive cannot penetrate it is not cycling enthusiasm which leads me to say this but simply a desire to state a fact only the mountaineer can achieve more than is open to the wheelman and the ordinary visitor to switzerland sweltering in lucerne or maybe in some three thousand feet valley his view obstructed by a mass of mountain four times as high is very far removed from the sights and sounds to which a cycle could convey him the second reason i would adduce in a fourfold defence of alpine cycling is that of the air it enables him to breathe for along with the sublimity of scenery to which i have referred goes the life-giving atmosphere of the heights adjacent to the snow line throughout the whole of northern central and eastern switzerland the ultimate limit of the railway traveller is davos platz five thousand one hundred and fifteen feet above the sea and this is so far removed from the ordinary tourist resorts that few but those prepared for a course of lethargic sightseeing en diligence would be likely to visit that pine-bordered valley and the majority of diligence users would select another route even davos platz however is considerably lower than the passes i propose to describe no less than seven of which attain a height of seven thousand feet while one exceeds nine thousand the purity and invigorating qualities of the air at such altitudes as these 
may be to some degree perhaps imagined it cannot be described nor can its full measure of innovation be appreciated unless actually enjoyed this much it is necessary to say i think with a view to demonstrating that the cyclist in the higher alps has not betaken himself thither in any spirit of mistaken enthusiasm nor through a slavish inability to dissociate himself from his machine but with a definite anticipation that the labour he has undertaken will not go unrewarded but the remaining factors in the argument are paramount from the cycling point of view granted that the man who is prepared to entail the expense and endure the monotony of diligence or even carriage travelling or more sensibly embark upon a walking tour pure and simple may reach the same heights and share the same splendours as the wheelman who pushes his machine the man who is driven is not his own master and is borne along at the same pace whether the scenery is monotonous or magnificent the pedestrian is at least free to halt by the way and if the road were everlastingly uphill would of course be more happily circumstanced than the cyclist but when the summit of a pass is once attained whose is then the better part walking down a pass is jolting and fatiguing and the pedestrian's labour is by no means over when he has completed his ascent but the joys of coasting await the cyclist coasting too on a scale impossible and even undreamt of within the limits of the united kingdom it is not to be inferred that every alpine pass can be coasted down the whole way as soon as one has climbed the other side just what is feasible in this direction and what is not i will endeavour to describe in each particular case when dealing with the passes by name but looking at the matter broadly i have no hesitation in saying that the climbs are more than justified by the available coasting alone apart from the grandeur of the scenery or the breathing of that ample ether and diviner air to which i have previously referred on the fourth factor of my argument i can hardly lay too much stress its predecessors might fail to convince the easy-going type of wheelman but even he did he but know what was in store would at least venture upon a journey to the engadine even if he limited his pass climbing to the single one which would have to be crossed in order to reach that glorious region as a cycling ground the engadine is unique for it affords the rider a means of cycling sixty miles on end without a yard of walking and yet mark this at a mean altitude exceeding that of the topmost peak of the loftiest mountain in great britain at its highest point the engadine road is six thousand feet high it is nearly four thousand at its lowest and this minor difference is almost evenly distributed along the entire route which has scarcely any undulations and though the tendency from Maloja in the upper engadine to martinsbrook in the lower is of course downwards the journey may be made without difficulty in either direction a lofty plateau like this confers riding sensations superior to those which would accrue if one could cycle along an imaginary road made by a bridging of the intervening spaces between the summits of ben nevis and its neighbouring mountains for the next sixty miles but when it is added that the beauties of the upper engadine are among the most remarkable in europe and that there are few if any more striking highways with the same limitation of gradient than the ravine bordered road through the lower engadine it must be conceded that the region is a cyclist's paradise the passes of which i propose to speak from personal experience with their respective altitudes above sea level are as follows 
Stelvio, 9,055 feet. Benina, 7,658 feet. Fluella, 7,835 feet. Albula, 7,595 feet. Julia, 7,500 feet. Maloya, 5,960 feet. Sheen, blank. Oberalp, 6,710 feet. Furka, 7,990 feet. Grimsel, 7,103 feet. Of these, the first six enter or adjoin the Engadine, while the remaining four are more westerly. I must also deal with certain connecting links between the passes named, such as the Landwasser Road, the road from Martinsbruck to Prad, the Versamstrasse, the Vorder Rhein Road to Decentis, and the Engadine itself. A glance at a map of Switzerland and the Austrian Tyrol will show that all the country indicated is practically virgin ground, save for the fact that the St. Gotthard line crosses from north to south. There is no railway in all this region in which the diligence is supreme, and to which one can get no nearer by train than Davos Platz or Tusis on the north, and Sondrio and Chiavenna, both in Italy, on the south. Hence it will be seen that, though the passes I shall describe in no sense exhaust the cycling possibilities or the beauties of Switzerland as a whole, they do include the major portion of the country which is unattainable to the traveller by train, and which remains a terra incognita, because he is averse to face the tedium and expense of the diligence journeys. The latter sometimes involve a sitting of over fourteen hours, save for halts for meals, and not even the wonders of the scenery can atone for the sufferings that are inevitable to so protracted and so cramped a method of progression. End of chapter 1